Thanks, Jess. Good afternoon, everybody. Good to see you all. Ah, whew, great, great time of worship. <laughs> yeah. Actually, just talking about worship is uh, filling the Holy Spirit. Mm-mm. Mm. Wow. So good. So good. Well, it's good to see you, everybody. Good, thank you. Somebody happy to see me? Oh, don't worry, I'm not that insecure. I know, I know. I'm just pulling your leg. Just looking for some connection. Oh, it's good to see you all. This morning, uh, I want us to, uh, I'm going to talk about rejoicing in the Lord. And I want to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Whoo, Holy Spirit, thick in your presence. Uh, Lord, we don't just want good information. Lord, we want revelation. We want to encounter you in your presence this morning, this afternoon now. Thank you that we have been encountering you in the worship and in our community together. But Lord, I ask that you would continue to speak to us deeply, to speak to our hearts, minister to us. God, we give you permission to minister to our hearts. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you lead us into truth. And I ask that you would lead us into truth in our hearts. God, not just a mental ascent of something that we think we know as a theological concept, but Lord, as the reality and the experience of our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Ah, so good. This morning, afternoon, I want to talk to you about joy, rejoicing, uh, as I said, from the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians is written to a church of Philippi, Paul wrote it. Um, I want to just give you a little bit of background to that before we jump into the passage that I want us to look at. So uh, in Philippians, um, you can find the story in Acts chapter 16 of how the church was planted. And basically the story goes like this. Let me summarize it for you. Paul is uh, in a particular location. He's trying to go north. He can't get north somehow. The Holy Spirit is stopping him from there. So he goes east. And then he hears, has a dream and he sees a man from Macedonia, which is now in modern day Greece, saying, come over here. So he and Silas, they go over to Macedonia. When they get to Macedonia, they go to Philippi, which is a major city there. And uh, there's a, outside the city, there's a river. And he um, goes to, to the river and he meets some Jewish ladies, uh, a lady called uh, Lydia, who is a seller of purple dye. Apparently that's sort of a big thing. And, um, and he preaches to them, ministers to them. They get saved and, the, and the, a church gets started in their house. And so Paul is an open door of fruitful ministry for them. He's had the Holy Spirit you know, in a dream, guiding him to come over. So, they, so they're there. Every day they're going to, you know, wherever they're going, there's a, a, a woman, a, a young girl there who has a, a, a spirit of divination, which is a spirit that can tell you what's going to happen into the future. And um, she has a couple of pimps that are making some money off her. And, um, and every day Paul's going and she's saying, these guys are the sons of the Most High God. And at some point, Paul gets irritated in his spirit and he just says, come out of her in Jesus' name and the evil spirit comes out of her. Now that's because we all have authority in Christ Jesus, right? That's, 
It's important that we remember that we have authority over the demonic realm because we're now in Christ Jesus and Christ is above all things and we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Therefore, we have authority over the demonic realm. It's not just let for people like Paul, but it's for all of us who are filled with the Holy Spirit and, and, and the fact that we're filled with the Holy Spirit indicates is our litmus test that tells us that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. You can't have the Holy Spirit without being seated in heavenly places. Just a little a side note, okay? So he, he gets, he gets this, this demon. He casts the demon out. The demon goes out. Uh, understandably so, um, well, the, the pimps are rather annoyed with him because he, they no longer have a source of income and money, and they have a bit of a, 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 an angry episode, and, and Paul and Silas find themselves in prison, and they're beaten in prison, and they're locked into the deepest, darkest part of the dungeon, you know, the, 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 the place that is dark and dreary and dank. When I say dank, I mean dank in the way that I would use the word, not the way that my 23-year-old would use the word, because apparently nowadays with the cool kids, dank means good. I don't know. I'm not cool, so dank to me means dark and dingy. So, so the dark and dingy, just the two of you? Oh, I've just exposed you, have I? No, no, no. So it's a, it's a gross, dark, horrible place, and they're bound in chains. And, but the, what the Bible says is that at midnight, instead of sleeping, Paul and Silas, bloodied and beaten as they were, are worshiping God. And they're singing praises to God, and they're full of joy, and they're rejoicing. And in that moment, there's an earthquake that happens, and all the chains fall off. And the jailer comes running out, and he's like, he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, no, don't kill yourself. We're all here. Don't harm yourself. And then the jailer and all his household get saved. It's a radical, radical testimony. How many of you would like that kind of testimony of, every, of a household being saved? How many of you would like to be beaten and put in prison? No. But there's this great connection, and I want to explore this morning, between persecution and joy. And what happens to you, what you do in between the difficult, challenging time that you have and the moment that God breaks through determines your greatness, if you like, determines the level of expression or experience you have of God. Paul and Silas, beaten, worshipping, God breaks through. And so Paul then writes in this in Philippians chapter 4, and I want us to look at verse 4 to 7. And he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, or in other translations, yours might say gentleness. Let your reasonableness, that's a hard word to say. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand, or the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What an amazing thing, this command that Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I actually feel like, well, what I love about telling the backstory isn't that just that Paul is saying, here's something that you should do. What he's saying is, here's something that I do. Rejoice in the Lord, because like I've been rejoicing. And they would obviously have the memory of that story of how the jailer came to know him. And the jailer may probably even in this church with his family going, yeah, that's what that looks like. And he, and he says rejoice, and I think something, it's almost like a formula for Paul's life, because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 to 18, Paul says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? Rejoice, pray, give thanks. And so it must have been something of a little bit of a formula for Paul. He's saying, look, I want you to rejoice. And in fact, it's so important, I'm going to tell you to rejoice again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. And uh, what does that mean? What does that actually mean? How do we do that? Are we, you know, is Paul advocating masochism? No, he's not. And so let's just unpack what that, what that looks like. So in the Bible, um, there are, the, the word that's used here in verse 4 for the word rejoice actually is the word Cairo, which means to rejoice. Another word that's related to it, which means joy, is kara. And then there's a third word that's also related to it, which is charis, which is grace. So those words, rejoice, joy, and grace, actually basically because they've got the same root word, fundamentally mean the same thing. What is the root word, I hear you asking me? Let me tell you. And it means... The root word, the core meaning of the root word means to extend favor, to lean towards, to be favorably disposed of. Favorably disposed to, I should say. To, to disposed of. Yeah, I'm just going to dispose of you favorably. <laughs> extend favor, lean towards, be favorably disposed to. I want to illustrate this. I'm going to ask um, Steve Janowski, Papa Smurf, could you come up here for a minute, please? I was thinking about who could represent the father well for me, and I thought of you, Papa Smurf. I don't know. I call him Papa Smurf because he looks like Papa Smurf to me, and he's full of joy. He's not blue, but he's just joyful. I want to uh, invite Michael Finnan to come back up, and I'm going to invite my daughter Hannah uh, to come up. Steve, I, I love you. Mm, love Such you a too. great love of the father. <laughs> Michael's a friend, one of our pastors, another great friend of man of God, and Hannah is my eldest daughter, and I love her. Oh, I love her. Okay. So, here's, so what, is, what is this? What, what are you getting at, Murray? Okay. Steve is the father. Michael is Jesus the son. Hannah is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that God is neither male nor female. He's both. So, you know, we've got a good representation of the, of the Godhead. The Bible also says that, the, that God is one person and he's three people. So you've got to kind of wrap your head around. Each one of these, are, if they were, you know, in, in reality of God, are the same substance, but they're different people at the same time. So figure that one out. I can't. Okay. So the Father, most of us, certainly from my perspective when I was growing up, I had a perspective of the Father like this. I want you to turn around. I want you to cross your arms, okay, and don't smile. I know it's hard for you. I can see you just in there, okay? There's a reflection in that mirror. So, okay, most of us, we live like this. We live as if the Father's disinterested in us and actually he has his back turned towards us. We're not sure Unless we have a revelation of his love, the re religious concept that we have of God is he's an angry guy in the sky. At best, he's disinterested and turning the other way. The worst thing is that he's actually turned towards us, but he's looking angrily at us, and he's got a scowl on his, scowl on his face, and he's pointing the finger. Religion makes God out to be like a heavenly Santa Claus that he's checking to see if you're naughty or nice, and most of us are naughty. 
and that he's got this list and he's angry with us. So if we were good and we get up early in the morning and we pray, then there's a slight smile on his dial. But most of the time we're, we're falling short of the goodness of God and we're all aware of those scriptures. And what we see and experience is God pointing the finger and being angry with us. But thank God for Jesus because he came to get in between the Father because Jesus is the nice guy and the Father's the angry guy. But Jesus is in the middle saving me from the bad dude. The thing is, when we live like this, is it easy to live in joy? Why? Because you're constantly aware of your shortcomings and your failures, and they're always pointing the finger at you, like jabbing me, saying, this is what you're doing wrong. Do this. You're not living up. You're not measuring up. That's a pokey finger. That actually kind of hurts. <laughs> and when you get poked like that, it's, it's very hard to be, to be happy, to be, full, well, to be joyful, isn't it? Because you're always conscious of your failings and your shortcomings. And so religious people are the most unhappy and unjoyful people on the planet. You just need to ask the Pharisees. All you need to do is look in the, the Gospels and you'll see that everybody that's associated with the religion of the Jewish people of the day, pretty much all of them were grumpy and unhappy and lacking in joy. Why? Because their rules and their regulations said that they didn't measure up, and if they did measure up, they got there by themselves, and so they were full of their own pride, but not very happy about it, because there's always a possibility that they haven't missed, that there's somehow they've missed it. If you want to be a religious person, you're on a ticket to be really, really grumpy. Trust me, I've learned that myself. I come from a, a line of people where, well, let me say this. There's a generational thing of grumpiness that's been in my family that I've had to come against. But there's also a dynamic of a religion that just comes, that, that I suffered with, that is actually makes it feel like I don't measure up and therefore I'm below and therefore I'm sad all the time because somehow I don't feel like I'm measuring up. Now then, this is what, where am I going to with this? Well, here's the thing. What the Bible actually says is that the, the love of the Father, because of the love of the Father, he sent his only son, Jesus. And the love of the Father and the grace of Jesus, that, the word that we've just looked at, is actually a leaning towards. You know, when I'm angry with somebody, I, I'm going to lean back. But when you're happy with somebody or you love somebody, you lean forward. I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a restaurant where you see two people, they're leaning forward, looking at each other as in the, in the other in the eyes, gazing intently. That'll be Ash and I on Tuesday as we celebrate 25 years of marriage. It'll be... We'll be gazing close. We're leaning into each other. So the, the word grace, the word joy, and the word rejoicing is all that the Father is leaning into us. And he's lent into us by the power of Jesus, sending Jesus on the cross, and then he's come with the Holy Spirit to live with us, and he's lent in towards us. The direction of his heart towards us, his desire for us is not away from us, but towards us. And his love and his grace and his goodness has extended to us. And so he's always leaning in. 
He's always extending himself towards us. He's always looking for our favor and our blessing. That's the intention and the desire of his heart because he's love for us. Not just us, actually, for the whole world, but we haven't got time to go into all of that. But he's leaning towards us. And where we live, we live in the grace of God, which is to say in the favor of God, which is to say that it's his leaning into us for relationship, for blessing, for love, for joy. And so rejoicing is like, wow, this is great. I love being here. This is the best place to be. I think I'm going to just stay here all the time. This is glorious. Rejoicing is the expression of thanks because of the God who's drawn close to us with his favor. And joy is my ability to recognize God's favor. So I'm recognizing God's favor, and this is a great, oh, man. Oh, this is so good. I feel so good. Oh. I'm just going to preach here for the rest of the morning afternoon with this because it's so good. Now, joy is it's a relational thing, right? It's because God's mm. lent into me. There's a big difference between happiness and joy. Mm. Happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is based on what happens to me. Joy is who I'm with. Mm-hmm. Mm. And joy comes because the Father is always leaning into me and that Jesus is always leaning into me and the Holy Spirit mm. is always leaning into me. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> no meaning to lean on me. <laughs> yeah. Lean on me. Come on. When you're not strong, <laughs> I'll be your friend. You should be singing this because I'm the one that's leaning on you. That's what rejoicing means. Thank you, guys. Awesome. <laughs> to rejoice means to be glad for the fact that he's favored you and he's always leaning in. And here's the thing about God's leaning into you, his grace. His grace is actually that you don't get what you deserve. So in other words, it's not based on our rules and regulations. It's not based on our behavior. It's not based on our ability to do the right thing. It's based on God's love and his step towards us. God so loved the world that he gave. In other words, he made the first step towards us. He's always making the first step towards us. Every intention and every inclination of his heart towards us is to bless us and to favor us, even when he disciplines us because he's looking for our good, because he's a good dad. And Jesus' grace is to share his relationship with the Father so that I could come and Jesus could actually demonstrate how much God loves me and how much God loves you by stepping in. You can't get much more than stepping out of heaven into the world to draw near to us. But not only that, not only is God drawn near to us in Christ Jesus, but then we have the Holy Spirit who's come, and by the Spirit, it's the Spirit of the Father and the Son who's now dwelling on the inside of us. And so he can't even get any closer than that because he's already on the inside of us. And so the joy of heaven is that we, are, we, we, we recognize God's favor towards us, and, and we rejoice, which is to say, Woo! Thank you, Lord! That's why it's not circumstantial. Because even when we're in the middle of trial and hardship and difficulty, the Bible says, because we're in Christ Jesus and Christ is in us, we're never separated from him. In fact, Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, who can separate us from the Lord? Nobody can. Nobody can. 
Nobody can separate us from his love because we are in Christ and Christ is in us and he's drawn near. The Lord is at hand. So rejoice. Woo. Rejoice. If you see God as an angry person, it's going to be very, very hard to rejoice. But if you understand the nature of the truth of who the Father is, who God is as us to, to us as a Father, and we understand his intentions to our heart, joy bubbles up because he's with us. He loves us and he wants our good. We were singing about it this morning. He's good and everything he does for us is good. Ha. Huh. And then we have Jesus who's demonstrated his goodness. And the thing is, we're in Christ Jesus. So because we're in Christ and Christ is in us, there's another reason for joy. Because Jesus himself is the joyful one. In fact, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9 says this, that God has anointed Jesus with the oil of gladness above his peers. In other words, there's no one that's been as joyful on the whole planet ever as Jesus has. He's the most joyful person you've ever met. He's the jo most joyful person that's ever lived. He's full of joy. Even though the Bible says he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with sufferings and grief, despite the circumstances, he has a massive amount of joy because he's a, for two reasons, I believe. One is because he knows his father and he knows his father's always with him. And two is because he's been anointed by the spirit of joy. The Holy Spirit. And so that joy, that word there is a different word for joy. That word there in Hebrews chapter 1, where he's been anointed with the oil of gladness, is a word, is a word called um, agaleo, something like that. Forgive my Greek. And that word is a compound word of two words. The first one is agan, which means much or very. The second word means to jump. So the word where he says that he's been filled with joy and gladness basically means he's very, very, very excited. In fact, he's so excited, he's jumping. Woo! 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 You know that moment when your favorite team, yeah, yeah, woo! That's the kind of joy that Jesus carries. That's the kind of joy that Jesus has been anointed with. I would jump off the stage, but last time I did that, I hurt myself, so I'm not going to do that. But there's multiple instances where that word agalio is not just like a, oh, bless you, my son, that's so good. I'm, I'm so full of joy for you. It's so nice and so good that you're here. He's like, woohoo! <laughs> Zephaniah chapter 3 says that he spins over us and he twirls around us. He sings over us. That's our Father. That's Jesus. He's jumping for joy. Literally, you make him jump for joy. You make him jump for joy. In fact, why don't you just take a moment and put your hand over your heart and say, Father, thank you that I make you jump for joy. See, I, find that, I found that difficult to believe at one point in my life because I was stacked with religion and a sense of a, being a disappointment to God. 
That's why it's so important that we understand the Father's love and we receive his love and we, we see the goodness of God expressed to us in Jesus and we know the Holy Spirit on the inside speaking to our spirits about being sons and daughters because that is what centers us into his joy and enables us to believe the truth that we make him jump for joy. Ah. And then we know the news just gets better, by the way. Because not only do we have the Father who's drawn us, drawn close to us, who loves us, who's extending his favor to us, who's drawn us, drawn close to us by, the, by his son, Jesus, who gave his life for us, and he's the joyful one. The joyful one is now on the inside of us. That means that you and I should be living in that joy. But beyond that, we have the Holy Spirit, the same oil of joy that was released upon Jesus, we now have upon ourselves. So that's good news. It means that you can be rejoicing in all situations. It means you don't have to try and work out how to be joyful. It means that you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into being joyful. Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy. Where? In the Holy Spirit. Ooh, and the fruit of the Spirit we know in, in uh, Galatians 5, one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. The second, in fact. Yours and my power to rejoicing isn't about gritting our teeth and getting through it and somehow in a masochistic way trying to say, no, these wounds are really good. It's actually to receive the Holy Spirit and to be filled with his joy. It's a supernatural thing. It's a good job we're a supernatural people because we've been filled with a supernatural God. And so Paul goes on to say, look, rejoice, rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be evident to all. In other words, don't just allow the joy to be an internal thing, but allow your joy to actually manifest itself to those around you. And the word for gentleness or reasonableness uh, actually means this. It's a Greek word that means uh, seemly, excuse me, or equitable, or yielding. In other words, it's a, it's a kind of attitude that doesn't insist on every right of, of the letter of the law, but it yields, it's gentle, it's kind, it's courteous, it's tolerant. What Paul's saying is rejoice because you've got the Holy Spirit and let everyone else know around you that you're full of joy because you're kind and you're patient and you're tolerant and you're yielding and you're not always demanding your rights and demanding your way and forcing things to happen, but you're living in a place of gentleness before everybody. And it's not just before church people, it's before everybody, which makes it harder when you're sitting in the DMV. Because it says in front of all people, even the DMV officer, as you're sitting there waiting for the clock to go down or the number to come up, you know, I'm B52 and it's only like B3. And the line's going really slowly. You mean I have to be joyful then? Well, the Bible says, let your joy be your gentleness, your reasonableness, your ability to yield and be kind and gentle. Let it be evident everywhere. Even in the DMV even in your car. A few years ago, 
um, Ash and I, we were flying to uh, San Diego to go to, um, to speak at a YWAM base in Tijuana, Mexico. And uh, it was Sunday, I was meant to be there Monday morning, preaching, teaching to, the, to a school, and um, I had been the year before that, and um, I had a load of ministry. I mean, I literally did like 14 hours a day of ministry and teaching, and so I thought I would bring my pastor along, so I brought Ash to help me out, and so we were flying together to Dallas. No offense to you Dallas guys, but the Dallas weather in the airport seems to just be freaky a lot of the time. So we were, we're flying there, and, and there's thunderstorms rolling through. And so we, we have to get diverted to Austin, Texas. We're on the airport, you know, on the ground in Austin, not out of the plane, just in the plane for like two hours, waiting for the things to, to, to thunderstorms to clear and all the backlog of traffic in DFW to go. So then we fly to DFW, and then when we get there, we're all hot and sweaty and sticky, and everyone's going mad. And we've got to get a flight from San Diego to there, from there to San Diego. And of course, the whole airport's in total chaos because every flight's been cancelled and there's a line as long as your arm. You know, you go and you've got to stand in front of the wait for the American Airlines desk and the poor person that's like, like somewhere down there, like 500 people down the end, you know, and you're just waiting and they're like, everyone's taking half an hour. And you're like, come on, hurry up. And literally the entire line's getting madder and madder and madder. You know, everyone's huffing and puffing around and you know, turning to each other and going, this is ridiculous. Have you ever, these, these guys, blah, 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 you know, now, it's not because we're superhuman or extra special, but somehow in that moment, the peace and the joy of the Lord came upon us. And so Ash and I were sitting on the tarmac, we're sitting in the line, we're just waiting, but we're just experiencing the joy of the Lord and the rejoicing and what's coming out of us is gentleness. Because when we, get to the, when we finally get to the place and they say to us, and she's looking haggard and, you know, like, please don't beat me up, and she says, I'm sorry, you, we can't get you on a flight till Tuesday. And I'm meant to be there 9 o'clock Monday. We're like, that's okay. We realize, you, you must have had a really hard day. Wow. And the Holy Spirit turned it around for us. We had a great time connecting with some uh, church, the, the church in Dallas. We got to meet some of the leaders. We got some time together just to relax. We got some revelation from the Holy Spirit as we're sitting in our hotel room just enjoying life. And all of that would have been completely scuppered if the Holy Spirit hadn't been releasing the oil of joy to us. Because our attitude would have determined our outcome. Our attitude would have, if we were angry and upset, the whole two days would have been a write-off because we would have just been upset and cross. But as it was, the joy of the Lord was speaking to us and we were able to live in a place of rejoicing even though things around us were falling apart. That wasn't Ash and I's supernatural ability. That's the Holy Spirit. I share that to say it's those moments where Paul's saying, let your reasonableness or your gentleness be evident to all. It's in the moments that things don't go right, how do you respond? Do you respond in anger and upset and grumpiness? Or do you live and you step back into the joy of heaven, into the power of the Holy Spirit, and you live in a place of joy? Now, we're all working towards that. Trust me. Talk to any of my family and you'll know there are moments in my life where that's a struggle for me. What? So Paul says, let your evidence, let your reasonless be evident to all. And then he says, don't be anxious about anything. You know that anxiety is the opposite of joy. Anxiety is fear. And anxiety is worrying about what might happen. All the what ifs. 
What if we don't make our flight? What if we can't get to San Diego? What if the people at YWAM are upset with us? What if we miss a whole day? What if we miss two days? What if we can't even get there? What if? And you can fill your whole mind with all these thoughts of fear and worry about what may or may not happen, and which is the antidote of joy. So Paul's saying, don't be anxious and fearful. Receive the joy of heaven. But then how does he say, okay, well, that sounds really good, George, uh, Paul. How do we do that? Well, he's just, just three keys within that. George? Did I say George? George Paul. Paul George. It's like a beetle or something, isn't he? Then he says, don't be anxious about anything. Okay, so don't be in fearful. Don't be fearful. Live in joy. Well, Paul, how do we do that? And, he's, and then he's three things. So everything, in everything... So not just in the things, the big things or the little things, but in everything, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray, which is, the word is like a general prayer request. Supplication, which is a specific ask. And thanksgiving, which is actually the same root word as grace and joy and rejoicing. And it just basically means, thanksgiving means to be grateful for the grace that you've received. Right? And so it's the, the, the joy be thankful. Well, how does that work in practice? So for me, just some practical things, one of the things that I love to do in prayer is to meditate on God's goodness. When I'm feeling anxious about something, the, the antidote to anxiety for me in that moment is to remember what God has done for me in the past. So when I'm thinking about, let's say, finances, and I'm thinking about the, the mortgage on this building, or I'm thinking about Ash and I's own personal finances, and maybe there's something in that that I'm worried about, then I remind myself... And it's a deliberate step, but I remind myself of the miracle that we had for this, for Leesville Road, where the Holy Spirit gave us one check, anonymous donation of $1,200,000, and another check of $100,000 from an anonymous donor, who we don't even know who that is to today, and we bought that building which enabled us to buy this building. God is faithful. So if I meditate on the fact that he has paid a $1.4 million for a building, it makes me think, meh, he could probably take care of my $120 tax, you know, property tax bill on my car. So I remind myself of what God has done, and in reminding myself, that remembering becomes a springboard for me to step into faith and what God has already done, is going to do for me right now in the moment, right? How he's carried us. So there's a general prayer and the, and the meditation. Then there's a supplication, which is the specific request. You know that God loves our specific request. The Bible just says, don't go on about it. It says, ask, but don't worry about going on about it because God already knows it. Right? But there's something about supplication, a specific request. One of my favorite um, psalm verses in the Psalms recently that God's really been speaking to me out of is Psalm 62, verse 8. Psalm 62 says this, verse 8. Trust in the Lord at all times, people. Pour out your heart to him, for he is a refuge to you. And my prayer, what, I've, what I'm learning in my supplication is to pour out my heart to God. So if I'm worried about finances, or I'm worried about relationships, or I'm worried about something that's going to happen, I speak to the Lord about that worry rather than trying to tell myself, don't worry. Because telling yourself, don't worry, inevitably means, leads you to worrying even more. Whereas if I'm able to say, Lord, this is how I'm feeling, this is what I'm concerned about, and, I, and I, it's literally that divine exchange, right, that reconciliation that God wants to give us. What the, the word reconciliation in the Bible was originally used 
<clears throat> slight squeak there, originally used for the exchange of coins. My coin for your coin. There's a divine exchange that happens in prayer. As we pour out our heart, what I'm pouring out is I'm saying, here, Lord, is my fear and my anxiety, and what he's giving me back is, my peace, is his peace. As a divine exchange, reconciliation is happening as I'm praying. And actually then what Paul goes on to say is that what comes out of all this is the peace of God that passes understanding. And then there's the final point, which is, uh, so there's supplication, which is to, to actually pour out my heart and ask the Lord for specific things. The final thing is to practice thanksgiving. You know, practicing thanksgiving is a very, very powerful thing. You know, when you get triggered, and we've been learning this in the Thrive training, and if you haven't been to Thrive training in the church, um, I want to invite you to come do the Thrive training. Joanne and Melissa can give you more information. Just wave your hands. Thrive Training, which is really all about how we're learning to live in joy and take specific steps to do, to, to live in thankfulness and appreciation. What happens when we get angry with something is uh, we, we flip our lids, we lose access to our relational circuits. I'm going to butcher this probably, but anyway, all right. We lose access, and so we, and we have to learn, and then we lose our identity. We lose who we really are, and we, that's where we can throw a hissy fit or get angry. It looks like the people on the plane, right? What we have to learn to do is take responsibility for getting our relational circuits back online. One of those ways is to deliberately practice thanksgiving because it connects us back to who we are and our relationships. And so f- for me, that, you know, in my marriage, that, that, I've used this illustration at various times, but, you know, my... Sometimes I, 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 you know, Ash and I have said we've been married 25 years, but sometimes things on the inside of me get pinged by what she's doing. And most of the time, it's my issue, not hers. But most of the time, it's my response. I blow up, I get out of, get out of line. And she goes from being Ash, my wife, to that woman. Remember those moments, you know, those of you that have been in a relationship? That woman, that husband, that man, those people. It, we, we suddenly disconnect ourselves relationally. And I'm learning to actually take deliberate steps of thankfulness, maybe not for what she did just in that moment, but for other things that she's done, or sometimes even in that moment to be thankful. And sometimes it feels like through ungritted teeth, but it's more because my own heart is you know, upset than it is anything to do with her. And I'm deliberately practicing, Lord, I thank you that, you know, I, I might think, she's not this way, but I might think that that woman is controlling because she's done something. But then I say to the Lord, I thank you, and I start to appreciate Ash. I go from that woman to is controlling to thank you that she has a value to taking care of me. Thank you that she has a value for dot, dot, dot. And, and when we get flipped, our lids get flipped, we ascribe motive and we put ourselves between each other. When we practice thanksgiving, we actually reconnect. So it's just a little, uh, you know, something that we actually deliberately have to practice so that when we're off down an angry track, we can find our way back. So Paul's saying, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be evident. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious. This, the antidote for anxiety is prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. What comes out of that is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. The drop of heaven. The Jesus, you know, what is Jesus that comes? As we've been singing this morning, you know, we're singing about the goodness of God. 
and uh, the Lord spoke to us a little, you know, a few years ago, and, you know, he said, the truth is, Romans 8, 28 is true, that God works together for all good, for God works together for the good of all who love him, who are called according to his purpose. But good, that only works out if we allow God's goodness, God to define what is good for us. And we get into trouble because we define what good is, and then God doesn't do that, and then we're angry and disappointed with God. Right? So, we, so God is good all of the time. Don't let your circumstances dictate to you whether he's good or not. Let his goodness dictate to you how you respond to your circumstances. Because he's always leaning into you. And so there may be some of us here that we're struggling with fear. We're struggling with you know, needing to get a new job and we're not sure what's going to happen to the, you know, what, what's going to happen. We've got maybe some difficulty with our boss that's saying, you know, he's making life difficult for us. Maybe we've got some difficulties within our relationships, in our family that's causing us some anxiety or stress. Maybe we've got some financial difficulties. Maybe there's some uh, sickness. Maybe there's some other relationships that we're outside of our family that we, we, we're concerned or we've got cause to be worried or anxious about. And what, God is, what Paul is saying to us is receive the joy of heaven, pray, ask God, give thanks and allow his peace to fall. Don't let your problem become bigger than God because what we focus on affects and shapes our mindset. And so we focus on the problem, we get away from God. If we focus on God, that's why I love worship together. Because this, even this morning, we're f- focusing not on our problem, but we're up here in the bigness of God, and all of a sudden, life looks different, right? Paul says in, in Romans chapter 8, he says, those who live according to the, the flesh set their minds on the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the Spirit. So that word according to is kata in Greek, and it means to live down, to, be, to flow down from. So those who live with their minds set on the flesh, flowing, then their mind flows down from the flesh. The only thing that they've got is to set their mind back on the flesh. But for those of us that are setting our minds on the Spirit, we, our life flows down from the Spirit, and what's there for us is that we set our minds on the Spirit. It flows down. We're flowing down, our life flowing down from the Spirit so that we can come and set our minds on the Spirit and live in that place of rest and joy despite our circumstances, despite all the things that are going on around us. Because again, it's not circumstantial. The power of our rejoicing is to rejoice even when things are falling apart because it's an expression of trust. I want to invite you to stand if you would, please. Here's the thing. God is with us. So listen, this is the very best thing that can happen when we pray and when we have supplication and we, and we give thanks, the very best thing that can happen to us is our entire circumstances change and God shifts something and we get the outcome we're looking for. The very worst that can happen is that nothing changes, but we still have God, that he's still walking with us, that his favor is still leaning towards us, that the posture of his heart is leaning in to bless us. And so here's what I want to do this just now. I want you to open your eyes and look at me, if you would, please. I want to just speak a blessing over you. Eye to eye. I can't see all of you at the same time, but I wish I could. But here's what. I want to bless you with the joy of heaven. I bless you with knowing 
that the Father's intention to you is to lean towards you. I bless you with the joy of knowing that he's good for you and that every inclination of his heart is love towards you. And I bless you to rejoice in the security and the strength of knowing that his, his posture is he's leaning to you. He's not standing away from you. And I bless you to rejoice in every circumstance. And I bless you to find his peace and his goodness no matter what. And I bless you to jump up and down in the celebration of the goodness of God. And I bless your heart to experience God's jumping up and down over you. And I bless your heart to hold on to the things that you've been holding on to and the desires and the promises of God has been given to you that have not yet been fulfilled. I bless you to stand in joy, to see it and to trust in heaven and to find his goodness even though your circumstances don't look like it. And I bless you to live in thankfulness, in joy, to turn to the Holy Spirit and to ask for his goodness to flow. And I bless you with the peace of heaven that surpasses all understanding, the joy of Jesus. I bless you. I bless you. I bless you to know heaven's smile. bless you to let your gentleness and your reasonableness be evident in every situation and every circumstance to rejoice in the present and to rejoice in the wide open spaces talking, I'm conscious that there may be some of you, some of us here like I was, that found it really, really hard to find joy because I felt like God was disappointed with me or that somehow he was angry, that he was somehow off, not leaning towards me, but at best scowling, at worst turning away. And if that's you, I want you just to take a moment to acknowledge that in your as we draw the meeting to a close, I want to invite you to actually come and experience the Father's love. We've got a ministry team here. I want to invite the ministry team to come on. And if you, if you know, I, I find it difficult to live in joy. I find it difficult to rejoice because of the things that have been going on in my experiences or my history or my family. I want you to know there's healing for you here in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if that's you, just come forward. Come forward. Come forward. And allow ministry team. I want, I want, there's a divine exchange that the Holy Spirit wants to do, which is to take their burden and their anxiety and to take it off them. And I want you to ask them to find out what heaven has for them instead. 
come on forward. Just anyone else that needs prayer. If you want to be a person that rejoices in all situations and that lives in joy, ministry team.